Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 33, Gog and Magog, part two. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. And welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell here with... Zena. Zena, the warrior princess. That I am. But you're not going to be one of the warriors of Gog and Magog, right? No. No, I'm not. No, no, no. We're hopeful that you're not because uh, <laughs> we, we want you on our side. Right. Yes, we've been talking about Gog and Magog, and last week we had to end right before it got good. I know, right on a cliffhanger. <laughs> well, we appreciate that you tuned back in to, to get the edge of the cliff, and we'll pick up where we left off because we want to find out what is it that God is going to do in this big battle of Gog and all his armies coming against Israel in mm -hmm. the latter days, and he's going to bring them forth, but they think they're going to come take a spoil and a prey, but he's going to stop them, and we're about to find out what he's going to do. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so are you ready to take the red pill? I am ready to take the red pill and find out what happened in these latter days. Okay, so here we go. We left off in Ezekiel 38, verses 14 through 16, and the last part was that he said that Gog, with his armies, are yes. going to come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. So we last thing we discussed was that when this takes place, God's going to use it as a sign to, number one, show Israel he's their God again. Yes. And dealing with them as a people. And number two, that the nations are going to know. He's the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a monumental thing that's about to take place. Now, to give a little bit of a background to those who may be listening for the first time, the reason why that's significant for Israel is because for now, 2,000 years, they've been not his people. Mm -hmm. And you might remember in the book of Hosea, we'll go there just for a moment uh, for the benefit of those that have never heard this, Hosea chapter 1, and notice verse 8. Now, when she had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and bare a son. And by the way, the she in this case is a woman whose name is Gomer, which is the same as the Gomer. That's correct. That's part of uh, mm -hmm. part of this coalition army, but uh, it means complete, and it's a picture of Israel having broken God's will to stay faithful to her because or for she was unfaithful to God so he divorced her mm -hmm. okay so when she conceived and weaned low Rahama she conceived to bear a son the third child from Hosea and Gomer then said God call his name lo am I for ye are not my people and I will not be your God so this letter is really the the bill of divorce that God wrote through the prophet Hosea to Israel 
Mm-hmm. Lo am I means not my son. Okay. So when he says, you're not my people, this was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. But the very next verse says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, who cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you're not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, which is going to be Christ, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And all that's a picture of though there would be a time when they would not be his people, Mm -hmm. he's going to bring them back. He's going to call them his people again, and it's going to start with this event. Gog and Magog. And you also remember that in chapter 5 of Hosea, and we've cited this many, many times now, in verse 15, the transgression that they did caused the Lord to say in verse 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So there's something about this. I think it's possible that whatever world events occur that cause Israel to be in the condition that makes Gog want to invade it to take the spoil and to take the prey, that they're going to also be in a time of acknowledgement of their transgression. And they're going to call on the Lord. And I think it's going to be coinciding with this battle. I think it's going to be, they're going to be surrounded and they're, they're, and they're in unwalled villages. They're dwelling safely. Yes. They were sitting ducks. Maybe they don't have a military anymore. I don't know what the situation will be, mm-hmm. but they're going to call on the Lord and they're going to say, we're sorry. We were wrong. And God's going to say, okay, I'll turn my face back. And he comes and he protects them. And it starts the seven years of tribulation on the earth. It seems to be the catalyst that brings that event about. So let's see how far we can go with that. So he's waiting for them to acknowledge their offense. And when they do it, it looks like it might coincide with this battle of Gog and Magog. But back in Ezekiel 38, where these uh, prophecies are found, in verse 17, Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he, speaking of Gog, of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. And remember when we talked about the different names last week of all these people involved in the battle from mm-hmm. Genesis. We went back to Japheth's sons, and we looked at their names, and they all seem to say in their names meanings it spells out the prophecy. Yes. Because there's not a prophet that I know of that wrote anything about Gog and Magog and the battle to come except for Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And Ezekiel's saying, did I not prophesy many, many years ago? <laughs> so it must be something else. And I think it was Moses who wrote the book of Genesis. Okay. Right? And the other prophets that, that wrote anything about these men that were the sons of Japheth. Mm-hmm. So he says, it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. So right away you can see there's a big thing going on. And I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. 
Every man's sword shall be against his brother. This coalition army, they're all going to turn on each other and fight each other. Probably over greed for who gets to take the spoils. Okay. You know, because if it's all these different nations and Gog's heading it and he's got his eye on something Mm -hmm. and they all have got their eyes on a little piece of the the prize, you know, then I think there's something's going to happen to where they all fight each other. And he says, I will plead against him with pestilence, which is disease, and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. He's going to rain down fire out of heaven on this army that goes against Israel. Thus, he says, verse 23, will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So that ends the first chapter of the prophecy, 38. And so that's what's going to happen. He's going to rain down fire. They're going to turn on each other. Disease is going to hit them. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to rain down fire from heaven with brimstone and, and, what, and hail, great hail. Now, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. So Japheth's sons turn against God and work for Gog, in a sense? The nations that came from those sons, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Exactly. And so they, their descendants are these nations that are going to join Gog in this coalition force. Okay, but it's not them themselves joining. Right. They don't come back like as, as the persons they were in the very beginning. Okay. It's going to be their ancestors. And, and among them are going to be nations that are also a part of the coalition that are not sons of Japheth. Okay. For example... Uh, we, we read Persia, who is one of the sons, Madai. Yeah. But then there was also Ethiopia and Libya, which are sons from Ham. Okay. And while while those actual sons' names were uh, Put and Cush, mm-hmm. those two individuals won't be there, but the nations they founded will. Okay. And okay. those armies that joined them from okay. those nations, right? And you think about like Ethiopia and Libya right now, are, there's not much to them as far as a fighting force. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't be much, they wouldn't be any threat to Israel right now, <laughs> which is why they don't ever threaten them because right. Israel could wipe them out in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But something's going to change. And when God sees that change, he's going to move in and get all these people to join him. Okay. So it's really interesting. So that brings us to uh, the book of Revelation, because a lot of people think that this might be the same event, but they're not. They're two separate events. I'm going to read this passage to you, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And it's one of the last events that occurs in the book of Revelation. And what we find out is Jesus Christ comes back to the earth at the end of a seven-year period of time known as the Tribulation. This battle seems to start that clock. Daniel's 70th week, seven years a week. So when Jesus returns, it's the end of the week. And he's going to come and establish his throne on the earth, and he's going to reign with Israel restored as a nation for a thousand years. During that thousand years, Satan is cast into the bottomless pit. And he's chained up for that thousand years, and he can't do a thing. Mm -hmm. So evidently, all his fallen angels are gone. The devils are gone. Everything's gone. It's just man on the earth, Christ reigning as king of the earth, and a perfect government. And yet for a thousand years, men are not going to want that government. There, there's going to be, the believers do, but the, uh, um, there's going to be enough people that don't like it 
they consider it to be oppressive because man simply wants to do things his way. Yeah. Right? So we read in verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, Revelation 20, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And I used to read that and think, you had him, why'd you let him go? Right? <laughs> but there's a reason. Okay. It says, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. And this is the nations that have survived for a thousand years with Christ's rule after the tribulation period. Mm -hmm. And you know what he names them? Gog and Magog. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, it's not the same Gog and Magog. It can't be. We're going to find out because the two are separated by at least a thousand and seven years. Yeah. Right? But the name is used symbolic of the enemies of God. Humanity in his opposition against God is epitomized in Gog and Magog. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think because they're named that way, uh, there are cultures that think of them as two different people. And Magog was a person. He was a son of Japheth. Yeah. And, uh, but Gog was not a son of Japheth. Because Magog, it's funny, it means the land of Gog. Yeah. And Magog lived before Gog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you have the land of Gog before you have a Gog? Right. <laughs> so, but Foreshadowing. It, absolutely. It's all mm -hmm. prophetic. And so it says, what do they do? They went up on the breadth of the earth, this huge army that outnumbers the sand of the sea. Mm -hmm. And it says they compassed the camp of the saints about. And compassed means surrounded. And when you think of the word a compass that shows all the directions, it's every angle. So a compass is an instrument, but it's also a, a tactic to surround them. You compass the camp. Okay. And it says they compass the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The same end. It's the <laughs> same end that happened to them a thousand years oh before. Oh, my goodness. The only difference is, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever, and that'll be the final end of Lucifer. Praise the Lord. Amen. The lake of fire is where it's ultimately going to be. So he's released from the prison of the bottomless pit for a th after a thousand years for just a very short amount of time, probably days, to gather this army together. And when they make this, and it's once again God protecting his people, which in this case are going to be all the believers, not just Israel, but mm -hmm. everybody on the earth that believes in him. Okay? So back to Ezekiel 39. To show you that that can't be the same Gog and Magog, even though spiritually they're identified, but they're a different uh, time frame and a different group of people, we go back to Ezekiel 39, verse 1. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. We discussed those two regions have to do with that area of Turkey and the, the Caucasus Mountains. Mm -hmm. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. So God's going to deliver Israel from this army by raining down fire upon them, hailstones, pestilence, sword, they're going to turn on each other. And if you think of it, one-sixth will remain. 
So five-sixths of this gigantic army are going to be destroyed. My goodness. And the birds and the beasts are going to eat them, the dead bodies. You know, it's basically, you know, the, 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 um, the vultures and the, I didn't even know, do vultures actually eat people? They eat dead things, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Normally, if a person dies, obviously, unless they're like out in the middle of the desert, the vulture doesn't get them. Because they're going to be taken by the coroner to the morgue yeah. and then buried. But, um, but I mean, you think of roadkill. You know, it just, nobody picks that up. No. Thank God for vultures because they clean up the mess, mm -hmm. you know. And then there's other beasts that will eat carrion. In, in, the, mid, in the Middle East, it would be things like jackals. And um, I'm not sure what animals. There's carrion-eating mammals, too. I just don't know which ones they are for that that variety. Dogs will eat just about anything. <laughs> oh my goodness, tell me about it. <laughs> so a jackal's kind of like a dog. <laughs> so the sixth part of the, which means that only one sixth of these of this army will remain, and I guess they'll go with their tails tucked back to their <laughs> countries, you know, after that happens. Verse six, and I will send a fire on Magog, the land mm -hmm. of Gog. This verse is a little disturbing. And among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, who are them that dwell carelessly in the isles? I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. Now, the isles, we're not talking about like Tahiti and Hawaii and stuff like that. You know, they, they dwell sort of carefree, I guess, in a sense. <laughs> <clears throat> because, hey, it's an island, you know. Yeah. They're on island time, right? <laughs> I think it might be a reference to the United States. Why do you say that? Because we dwell carelessly. We do. You know, before we even started our program today, you know, I had a little conversation about how the culture right now is so wacky. Yes. And um, I think the satanic global elite are trying to pit us against each other. Mm -hmm. And what we deem as important is, is not, you know, we, what's important is eternal things and that we get our hearts right with the Lord and that we start treating each other like brothers and sisters. Yes. And right now we're so focused on material things and political things and division and, and uh, what I call cancel culture yes. and virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. You know, I see a lot of that. People try to think, oh, I'm more virtuous than you because I recycle. You know, and was, <laughs> it's just like everything is, is designed to pit us against each other. And there's mm -hmm. a carelessness about that. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I could be wrong about that. But I, I see America going down a path of, and we're not the only nation doing it, but we're going down this path of self-destruction. And the, the elites are just pulling strings like a puppet yes. master, loving every minute of it, you know. Mm -hmm. I really do think that these satanic global elites are doing a lot of what they're doing right now to try to bring a down, uh, a, to bring a population control. They want to basically eliminate a huge chunk of the world's population. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about people like Bill Gates and, and multi-billionaires. Uh, they, they've made their agenda very clear. So I don't know what mechanisms they're using to do it, but you can't control billions of people uh, without... Um, the possibility of an uprising. Yeah. So we got to eliminate all those people that could be a potential threat to them. And I think that's part of what's going on here. It's pretty scary. That is pretty scary. Yeah. So anyway, dwelling carelessly could refer to something else, but whatever it is, it's not just 
the, the armies in the mountains of Israel that he's going to rain this fire down. It's going to be the land they came from, Magog, mm -hmm. and those that dwell carelessly in the isles. So it's going to be like a wrath is poured out on several things, yes. several different nations. Verse 8 of the same chapter, Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears. And they shall burn them with fire seven years. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Seven years, as in seven years of tribulation. Okay. Seven is a significant number in the Bible. And if it was the last battle of Gog and Magog, it won't work because when Satan is loosed out of his prison a little season and God rains down fire on that, the next thing you see is a new heaven and a new earth. There is no seven-year period of time there. There's a final judgment, new heaven and a new earth, and the city comes down, New Jerusalem. Yeah. So there's no time for a seven-year period in there, but there is here. Well, what matches the seven-year period of burning all the weapons for firewood is the seven years of tribulation. So I do think that it's possible that some global thing is going to happen that renders all modern technology inoperable. And they're literally fighting these battles with swords, bucklers, bows and arrows, spears, and hand staves. Yeah. Weapons made of wood. And because that's what you burn for firewood. You know, you don't burn metal for, for heating <laughs> and cooling, right? And, uh, and there's going to be enough of those weapons so that they don't have to take wood out of the forest for seven years. It says, so that they take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, mm -hmm. and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord God. The armies that came to take all their wealth out of Israel, whatever they had on them, Israel was going to take it right back. Going to take their weapons and use it as firewood, going to take their shields, and who knows what they can make out of that, you know, and beat the metal into useful plows and, yeah. and instruments for, for agriculture, whatever. So God turns the whole thing around on Gog and his armies, right? Gog, he, now, just, he had no idea. He had no idea. Daniel, I mentioned the seven years for the firewood, for burning the weapons. Yes. So Daniel chapter 9, we'll have to go back because we discussed Daniel's 70th week. But one of the passages in verse 27 said, And he, which is the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Remember, a week is seven. Yes. So this is the final week of Daniel's prophecy or the final seven years of tribulation. And it says he's going to confirm the covenant with many for one week. So it would almost make sense to me, trying to put it all together, that if there's a big battle that goes against Israel, Gog and his armies, God miraculously delivers them with fire raining down upon them and burning up all but one six of them. And they're able to burn their weapons for firewood for seven years. That Antichrist who's watching this whole thing, right, <laughs> goes, hmm, now here's my opportunity. A massive invading force didn't do the trick. I'll sneak in with flattery. So he comes along and he says, hey, Israel, I see you got a God that protects you now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about we make a covenant and I'll let you build your temple and you can start your sacrifices again. And I'll agree that we stay and leave you guys in peace. And they think, oh, sure, that sounds like a great plan. Right. And they start to do it, and they build the temple. And in the middle of those seven years is when he stands up and he defiles the temple with his abomination, and he declares himself to be God. Oh, no. To me, it seems like that would all dovetail yeah. together. He sits back, and he lets God do all the dirty work. 
get burned up by God, oh. <laughs> and then he steps in to take over in a sneaky, subtle way, Yeah, which is how the devil works, right? He's a serpent. He is indeed. And that would match something that's interesting about seven. And there's a picture in, of course, Israel, his name, blessed of God, was originally Jacob, which means a deceiver, right? But Jacob, when he was young, uh, he left his mom and dad, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, and he went to find a wife. And he went to a distant cousin, Laban, or Laban, mm -hmm. and he had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Okay. Now, Leah was the older daughter, but Rachel was the younger, and Rachel was beautiful. Leah had sweet eyes, the Bible <laughs> says, <laughs> but Rachel was, <laughs> was fair. So Jacob fell in love with Rachel, and he went to Laban, her father, and he said, I'll serve you seven years if you give me her to my wife. And Laban said, sure, you can do it. So he worked for him for seven years, and here's what Laban did. Go to Genesis chapter 29. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. I know, I hope he kept his promise. He did not. <laughs> he lied to him. I mean, I don't know how I feel about arranged marriages. Yeah, exactly. This, <laughs> this would be a good reason against it. It says in verse 18 of Genesis 29, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee. Laban, mm -hmm. seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, I might as well give her to you. It's better I give her to you than some other guy, you know. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, like what are you trying to say? So he said, abide with me. You know, stay here, keep my sheep, serve me, work for me seven years, and you can have her. Mm -hmm. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Seven years to him was passed like a few days. Aww. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. It's a wedding, right? It's a wedding feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his older daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her, which means he, they had their honeymoon night, right? Oh. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. 
Now you have to think, wait a minute, how did he not know? Yeah, were you him? like, were you that drunk? Number one, yes, because <laughs> they drink wine in the weddings. And number two, it's dark. They have no electricity. I mean, he sneaks her in at night and he's oh, dr partially man. drunk. So he wakes up and he slept with Leah. And he realizes, oh, no. So he, the, what does he do? It came to pass. Then in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? You tricked me. And Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. She's the older sister. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he says, fulfill her week. In other words, serve me another seven years for Rachel. And we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. So he finally got Rachel. Wait, so was he married to both of the sisters? Yeah, so he ultimately had two wives. And from those two wives and their handmaids, which were called concubines, okay, because there could be a point in time when the woman could not bear children anymore, the wife. Mm -hmm. So they would give their handmaid to carry more seed forth. So get more. Ultimately, the 12 tribes of Israel came from those two wives and their two concubines. Okay. So it's a picture in that somehow, though, because the seven years that it took for Israel to be wed, and you think about God taking Israel back mm -hmm. as his wife, seven years, all that is, you know what I mean? There's, there's a picture in all that to bring us to where we need to be. So I think that that seven years of burning the firewood is sort of like God saying, you're going to have to wait seven more. I'm acknowledging you. I betrothed you to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call you my wife again, but you're going to have to wait seven years. You're going to, you're stuck with Leah <laughs> oh, no. for seven years until you can get Rachel because that's when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. That's so ironic you say that because I've been told by a lot of married couples that when you get to like that seventh year, everything starts to hit the fan. Yeah. Seven year itch. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> and there's something to the number seven when you think about right? it. Seven is so interesting because there's seven days in a week. Mm -hmm. There's seven notes of a scale. There's seven primary colors. You know, God's a mathematician. I, I spoke in my, my job that I do in tech support with a man who was a naturalist, and he was telling me the fascination of the number 78. And 78 in, in nature is significant. The earth is 78% water. Okay. Our atmosphere is 78% nitrogen, and we can't live without that ratio. Yeah. Your body is 78% water. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> Not just you. But our, our minerals, basically, we're minerals and water, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it's like God designed this perfectly, you know. It's amazing to think about. And this was a guy that wasn't necessarily trying to uh, extol the virtues of God's creation. He was just talking about what he observes in nature. Yeah. Know? Yeah. He told me a really interesting thing, too. He said that the butterfly is actually, their original name was Flutterby. Because that's what they do. They flutter by. Yeah. And you know, when they fly. And through colloquialism, they got turned around. But you know how a group of something has a name, like a group of lions is called a pride. Yes. A group of flutterbys, he told me, is called a kaleidoscope. Isn't that pretty? That is. <laughs> a kaleidoscope of butterflies, right? Kaleidoscopes are so cool, too. Yes, because all the colors in their wings. Yes. It's really neat. Uh, anyway, so Ezekiel 39, verse 11. 
we're going to go back to, and we're going to try to finish today. (laughs) Verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog, the guy that invaded with Mm -hmm. his armies, a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. You know, they're going to walk by so many dead bodies, it's going to stink. And there they shall bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them. And it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land, to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. So in other words, there's going to be so many dead bodies after the birds and the the beasts eat the flesh, Mm -hmm. there's bones left. So they're going to be walking through the land, and there's going to be men that for seven months, all their job is is to bury the bones. That's just like a very crunchy walk. Yeah, crunchy walk. <laughs> and it even says that the passengers, when they see a body, they'll put a, a little flag on it to let them know, here's another Oh, one, my you know. goodness. That's terrible. Oh, here it is. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any man seeth a man, when any seeth a man's bone, they shall set up a sign by it till the berries have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. And also the name of the city shall be called Hamona. Thus shall they cleanse the land. So there's going to be a big city in Israel called Hamona, which means to bury and they're going to bury all these bodies eventually in those, in that there. And they rest in that nice city. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and now the next verse, and we'll come to a, we'll wrap this up here. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And when he says rams and bulls and goats, he's talking about people. So he's likening them to these things. Okay. And there's something about that that we might make uh, a, a podcast soon, the bulls of Bashan. There's something about Bashan, and it's going to tie back into the giants. Really? Yes, it's going to tie back in and how they gaped upon Christ on the cross and things like that. So we'll, we'll find out some things about Bashan. But he goes on, he says, You shall eat fat till you be full and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I've sacrificed for you. Thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I've executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. So we come back to that passage because to me, there's something significant about from that day and forward. This battle is the determining sign that the world is going to know God's people are Israel. Yeah. And Israel's going to know he is their God. It's going to come back to that. Right now, I don't think we can know for sure. And there's many sincere Jewish believers and sincere Christian believers that think that the people in the land of Israel right now are going to be God's people. Or some say they are now God's people, Mm -hmm. and some say they will be. And they could be right. I just don't know. Uh, But to me, this is the deciding factor 
there's something significant about that. Now, I'm going to read the last few passages of the chapter here because I want to get to that thing about the treasure hid okay. in the field. So in verse 23, the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they trespassed against me. Therefore, hid I my face from them. Isn't that interesting? He puts it in the same chapter. Yeah. All right. I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. So being brought back from the sword means the time of this punishment is over. Yeah. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God. Well, let me get to that in a moment. You know, there's something in the world today. There's a group calling themselves True Torah Jews. And they are Jews that, Jews today that believe that the land is theirs and they should be there and they either live there in Israel or they, they support it, you know. And I have no dog in that fight. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, that is their battle. They can do what they want to with it. I, I support whatever God says is true, yes. you know. But the true Torah Jews are actual Jewish people, and I believe they're somewhat orthodox, uh, meaning they're a little stricter in their understanding of the Torah. But they actually acknowledge that they transgress the Lord. They wouldn't say it's due to Christ. They're not believers in Christ as Messiah. Jesus, but they, but they do believe that Israel transgressed God's law, and therefore he scattered them among the nations. And they don't think Israel should be back in the land until God brings them there. Okay. And they disagree with the, the mainstream thinking of Israelites that we were made a nation through the Balfour Declaration in 1916 after World War I, and then through statehood in 1948 after World War II. Okay. Like I said, I have no qualms with any of those. I, I'm not qualified to judge any of that. But they think that they're wrong to be in the land right now mm -hmm. and that we should wait, or we, they should wait for God to bring them and restore them. So it's interesting how there's so many different perspectives yeah. about that. So it's somewhere in there is the truth. We don't know which one it is. Right? Right? We're just trying to find it. That's right. So that brings me to the parable of the treasure hid in the field. If we go to Matthew chapter 13, the chapter when Christ began to speak in parables, he gave one short parable in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Now, without going to a long lesson about parables... Yeah. The only book in the Bible that refers to the kingdom of heaven is the book of Matthew. Every other place it's referred to as the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of heaven is more specific. And as, as a quick general rule, it's a subset of the kingdom of God. Okay. But it's specific to Israel's inheritance. And the reason I say that is because uh, we're going to find out the word treasure is specifically used for Israel by God. And we'll go read that in just a moment. But before we leave the parable... Christ had already told a parable about sowing seed in a field, mm -hmm. and he gave the interpretation of it to the 12, and he said the seed was the good word of God, the field was the world. So whenever he gave an interpretation of a parable, the analogies carry over to any other parable in which they're used. So if a man found a treasure hid in a field, the field is the world. We know that. And he hid the treasure in the world. So what is the treasure that the man, when he found it, he sells all that he hath and buyeth the field? I believe it's a picture of God the Father giving his only son to die for the world and for the treasure hid in the world, yes. which are his people. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you could say it's specifically nationally related to Israel or his saints, regardless of who they are. Yeah. But it matches either way. So the treasure. If we go to Exodus chapter 19, when God brought Israel out of bondage in Egypt and he appeared to Moses in Mount Sinai and gave him laws, he told him this at first. Moses went up unto God, Exodus 19, 3, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Now, they're not even a nation yet. They're just 12 tribes that got so big that they couldn't stay in the land of Goshen any longer in Egypt, and God delivered them. And he says, Thou shalt say, You've seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. And by the way, what did God do to the Egyptians? Plagues. Right? Moses turning water into blood, the locusts, the lice, the frogs, Mm -hmm. the plagues, the hail, the fiery hail and all that stuff. All that happened in the in the Exodus. Well, those are it's a picture of the tribulation to come. Okay. So it says, You've seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, which was the law he gave them. Mm Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is the kingdom of heaven that was offered to Israel in the very beginning through Moses. And they rejected it because they turned and worshiped other gods. When Christ came, he offered it one final time. And he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Receive me, you can have the kingdom. And they said, nope, we don't want you. We'll take Caesar. And they crucified him. Terrible. So this is the kingdom. But notice that he said, you'll be a peculiar treasure unto me. Yeah, I noticed in, that. In the parable, he said, a man found a treasure hid in a field. And he went and he hides it. And he sold all that he had to, to buy it. Psalm 135. Psalm 135 says, in verse 4, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. So I believe the treasure is Israel, and I think it's hid in the world. I don't think God wants us to know who Israel is. I have no qualm if it is the people of Israel today. They may well be the group that turns and makes their confession. Yeah. They very well may be. They also might be somebody else altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, I leave it open there. Now, I don't say that to offend any Jewish person who says, no, we are absolutely the Israel of God. And if you are, praise God. Yeah. I'm not against that at all. Mm-hmm. I just don't know because if he hid you as a treasure in the field, we don't know for sure that that's you. Yes. It could be someone else. I don't know who it would be, so I have no reason to suspect it's something else, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's just the idea that, hey... I, I'll let God sort that part out of it because I'm not smart enough to, to tell it's the difference. It's the Gentiles, I call it. Right. In other words, and, and when you look at, um, and, and I mentioned this to a, a friend of mine too, um, who's also Jewish, a lot of the people that went back into Israel, not all of them, but a lot of them came from the region of the uh, Eastern Bloc nations, like Poland, Germany, whatever, after World War II, mm-hmm. particularly Germany. And it's interesting that that group of people um, from Germany are uh, supposed to be related to one of the sons of Japheth named Ashkenaz. And it's interesting that they call themselves Ashkenazi Jews, mm-hmm. which are Japhetic, not Semitic. Okay. By genetics, by origin. 
Jewish in their practice, Jewish in their culture, Jewish in everything. They speak Hebrew. I mean, I'm not denying they're Jews. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that it's interesting that their lineage is different because what's interesting to me is that in the seven years of tribulation, there's going to be 144,000 Jews that are sealed by God to do a ministry during the time of tribulation, and each one can trace his lineage back to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm which would not be Japheth's sons. So that's, it just, it makes me wonder. The the questions I just don't have an answer to. Yeah. So it just makes me wonder. But for the last little bit here in Ezekiel 39, and and by the way, I say this to anybody out there that hears my voice talking about this, I would love to discuss with a Jewish historian the founding of Israel and how if, if, I, if there's some evidence there that can prove that the people there in the land right now are the Israel of God, I would love to see it. I yes. want to know it. I am wide open to it mm-hmm. because I'm just looking at things from the scripture and there might be some outside sources of information that I can really glean some truth from. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 25 of Ezekiel 39 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. All of this tying into this event of Gog and Magog. After that they've borne their shame and all their trespasses, whereby they've trespassed against me, when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. When I brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, which is through this whole battle and his rescue, Mm -hmm. then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I've gathered them under their own land, now watch this, and have left none of them anymore there. Meaning when this takes place, all of the Jews, all of the Jewish people that God's going to call Israel are in his land and no longer anywhere else in the world. Well, well, that would preclude the current situation. Yeah. It would, there's going to have to be something that's going to take place where every Jewish person says, we're leaving, we're going back to Israel. Yeah, you know, and and it could be these events I was to talking uh, I was talking about with you earlier, like a nuclear blast and EMP yeah. pulse, something that dramatically changes the landscape of the world, the whole yes. the whole societal culture of the world. And then he says, "I've left none of them anymore there." Verse twenty nine. Neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. He's going to pour spirit upon them again. So there's some amazing things that are coming. Yeah. For Israel. I personally wish it was the group of people there in the yeah. land right now because that means things seem to be falling into place. Okay. You know, now there's a lot of other events that need to occur, I think, but we've discussed some of the timetable and we talked about the two days mm-hmm. and the 2,000 years. So everything seems to be falling in line. But the way things change right now, things could turn on a dime. Yes. And there might be some crazy thing that happens. Like who was expecting COVID? Right? right to completely change the dynamic of the world yes. in a strange way. So what if another event happens that does even more, mm-hmm. and the next thing you know, we can't fight with nuclear weapons anymore, yeah, or with even regular guns and and bullets, and maybe we're back to fighting with swords and spears again, and maybe then there's going to be a people that appears to be the ones that take the land. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, and it could be the very ones that are there now, or it could be a hidden treasure. 
Yes. And that's the that's the true mystery that I don't have an answer for, you know. Yeah. So we'll stop there and maybe next time we can discuss this thing about the bulls of Bashan. Yes, I'm and very interested in that. Yeah, see where that goes and see how that might tie back into the giants. So I hope something you've heard today would be a benefit to you and give you a little glimpse into what seems to be moving in the direction of Gog and Magog. Yes, as always, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, go ahead and like and share as well as subscribe. And then uh, comment down below anything new that you've learned or that you're interested in learning about. And we really appreciate you listening. And I reiterate my call to anybody out there that wants to reach out to me, utbnow.com. You could learn uh, anything you want to about the podcast. You can learn anything you need to about our Bible lessons. But you can also write me and reach out to me. And if you've got some uh, events or historical data or anything that could help shed light into what the hidden treasure might be or who it might be, I would love to talk to you. And yes. uh, we'd love to share that with our audience. So please reach out. Yes, please do. You guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Yes, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.